0: Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN, Global Catholic Radio Network.
1: Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. And it's a
2: Monday, it's November 20th, 2023. Hope you're having a great Monday as we move into this week of the Thanksgiving holiday and the holiday season officially getting underway. Of course, Advent beginning soon as well. A great time of year to slow down and concentrate, as we always say here, on EW, Chen, and Ave and the things that matter most. And so it is good to be with you, and I hope this show. And every show here on EWTN and Ave Maria will be helpful to you in your journey through the holidays and beyond. And look forward to our discussion this morning, including an article that was written by Chris Fattis, president of Solidarity HealthShare, on the occasion of the 30th anniversary of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. I can't believe it's been around for 30 years. There's been a lot of changes But he is saying that it's still very, very important and has helped in a lot of ways, especially when it comes to protecting our rights and our religious freedom. We'll discuss that with Chris. And then we're also going to take a look at a book that was endorsed by our very own Al Cresta. The book is published by our friends at Ignatius, and it's entitled To Die Well, A Catholic Neurosurgeon's Guide to the End of Life. Dr. Stephen Duran will be joining us for two segments at 15 minutes past the hour. And then wrapping up, with our scripture verse of the week with Gail Buckley. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. It's a a very, I think, deep verse. And, And how do we dissect that? How do we understand it? What does it mean? And Gail will explain. She is the foundress and the head of Catholic Scripture Study International. It's a beautiful Bible study. And she joins us every Monday with a scripture verse of the week. So that's our program for today. Dr. Stephen Duran, Chris Fattis, and Gail Buckley on a Monday. Weather-wise, let's see what's happening as folks are planning to travel over the river and through the woods, and apparently through some snow as well. There is a storm system, according to the National Weather Service, that will be moving from the southern plains to the northeast, and that's today through Wednesday, with severe thunderstorms. And this is for the northern Gulf states. Now, gusty winds and heavy rain for the southeast And then if you go northeast, you have a wintry mix for the interior northeast and strong offshore Santa Ana winds with gusts of over 60 miles per hour are also forecast today into tomorrow morning in Southern California. So what we're looking at, they're saying in this development, is that it could last actually for a few days going into right into the heart of travel season, right? Because this week is among the busiest, if not the busiest travel weeks for the US of A because of the Thanksgiving holiday. So be safe out there. And as always, give yourself plenty of time to get to where you need to go carefully and safely. It is a Monday morning. Thanks again to my wonderful producer, Andrew Kruchek, for doing such a great job of working with uh, all of our guest hosts. So Deacon Dom and I are traveling back from Italy tomorrow. So Vanessa will be back in the seat. Then I'm back with you on Wednesday. And then God willing, Stuck with me for a while. Uh, This is a very, very busy travel season for us. Unusual to have back-to-back pilgrimages, but it just happened that way because we had several of them canceled during COVID. But it was a great experience to meet so many wonderful listeners uh, from EWTN and Ave Maria Radio and our many radio affiliates around the country. And they really enjoyed getting to know Italy and the saints better and also getting to know each other. I think that's one of the most encouraging things that you experience as a host on a pilgrimage is to see the bonding that occurs. Very few people know each other when they come. They may be with a friend or a spouse, but they're not you know, familiar with any other people on the trip. And then within, I mean, sometimes within minutes, you hear these great conversations, and there's a clicking going on between the folks, and it's just a beautiful thing to see. So wishing all our pilgrims well, and maybe sometime you can travel with us in the future, God willing. But let's get started. It's a very, very busy news day. There's a lot going on, and we need to check the news. You are listening to Catholic Connection. A co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN. It's Monday, November 20th. Let's get started. Mark Maitville tells us Pope Francis plans to meet with families of Israelis held hostage as well as with family members of Palestinians who are in Gaza.
3: The Vatican announced the meetings will be held separately and both will take place this Wednesday after a general audience with the Pope. A Holy See spokesperson said the meetings are of an exclusively humanitarian nature. The spokesperson added that the Pope's objective is to express his spiritual closeness to the suffering of each individual.
2: Meanwhile, as Linda Bordoni tells us, the Holy Father is also, as we mentioned at the top of the hour, talking about the wars not only in Israel but Ukraine and elsewhere around the world.
4: Speaking on Sunday during the Angelus, he said, peace is possible, it takes goodwill. La pace
5: è possibile. Ci vuole buona volontà.
4: And he implored men and women of la goodwill never to resign themselves to war.
5: Non alla
4: Reiterating his belief already voiced on many occasions and repeating the word always three times, the Pope said war always, always, always is a defeat. And he noted the only ones who gain from war are those who manufacture weapons. And during the Pope's urgent appeal, he shone the spotlight on Myanmar, where an escalation of hostilities between the country's military junta and ethnic minority armed group, the Arakan army, have spread to various townships, where civilians have been caught in the crossfire. (inaudible) I renew my closeness to the dear people of Myanmar, the Pope said, who unfortunately continue to suffer from violence and suppression. I pray that they will not be discouraged and always trust in the Lord's help. Never neglecting to remember those suffering from the ongoing conflict in Ukraine and in the war between Israel and Hamas, the Pope asked for prayers for the tormented Ukraine and for the people of Palestine and Israel.
2: Meanwhile, Israel, Hamas and the U.S. have reportedly reached a tentative deal that could see a five-day pause in the ongoing war. On Saturday, The Washington Post reported dozens of hostages would be freed in exchange for the brief ceasefire. Those releases could reportedly begin within the next several days if all goes as planned. Thousands of pro-Palestinian protesters, meanwhile, brought the California Democratic Convention to a standstill over the weekend. More than 2,500 protesters flooding the streets in downtown Sacramento, demanding Democratic leaders call for a ceasefire in Gaza. Protesters marching and massing in front of the Sacramento Memorial Auditorium, and at one point backing up traffic, for more than a mile from that auditorium to one of the bridges that carries traffic across the Sacramento River and toward San Francisco. Police are reporting no arrests and no incidents of violence. Hundreds of Georgia congregations are leaving the United Methodist Church over a divide on LGBTQ issues. The North Georgia Conference of the United Methodist Church voting over the weekend to accept the decision of 261 congregations to leave the denomination. As of August, more than 6,000 Methodist congregations of just over 30,000 in the country have approved for disaffiliation since 2019. A number of traditional mainline Protestant denominations have split up over homosexuality and related issues in recent decades. Former President Carter has released a statement following the passing of his wife, Rosalind Carter. He said that she was the equal partner in everything he ever accomplished. He also added... That as long as she was in the world, he always knew someone loved and supported him. The wife of the nation's 39th president, Rosalind Carter, died at the age of 96. The Carter Center announced she passed away Sunday afternoon at her home in Plains, Georgia. She married Jimmy Carter back in 1946. They were married for 77 years. And as first lady, she was an active part of the administration, serving as the president's personal emissary to Latin American countries and even sitting in on cabinet meetings. A new poll puts President Biden's approval rating at 40%. It's the lowest level of his presidency. According to the latest National NBC News poll, strong majorities of all voters disapprove of his handling of foreign policy and the Israel-Hamas war. And a whopping 80% of younger Democrats approve of his handling of the war. Overall, the poll showing 57% of all registered voters disapprove of Biden's job performance. It's an all-time high since becoming president. Authorities in India are considering new ways to bring out 40 construction workers who've been trapped underground for more than a week. State authorities are now looking at options such as building escape tunnels from the sides of the main tunnel. Rescue teams have been drilling nonstop to reach the workers since Thursday. The men became trapped when a highway tunnel they were building partially collapsed last Sunday. They're being supplied with food and water, but a doctor said some of the men are not doing well. Very sad story out of Hollywood. Dana Carvey says he's going to take a break from acting following the death of his son earlier last week. Carvey and his wife posting a statement on Instagram that 32-year-old Dex Carvey died of an accidental drug overdose this last Wednesday. The post also extended prayers to anyone struggling with addiction. Los Angeles County Medical Examiner said he died in his L.A. County home. And more folks are moving to rural areas of the country. The USDA's annual Rural America at a Glance report released last week gives the details of that migration.
0: The rural population has continued to grow since 2020. The Census Bureau data shows the rural growth of a quarter percent from July 2020 through June of
3: 2022.
2: That's USDA economic researcher Jim Davis, who says he helped author the report and adds that the previous decade shows either negative population growth or zero growth in rural America. He also says poverty has been declining in those less populated areas and employment also recovering after the pandemic. Nikki McGayas tells us at TSA, dishing out which Thanksgiving foods you can fly with this holiday season.
1: While most foods can be carried through airport checkpoints, some need to be checked into baggage. TSA officials say if it's a solid item like baked goods, meats, stuffing, or casseroles, it can go through a checkpoint. If you can spill it, spread it, spray it, pump it, or pour it, and it's larger than 3.4 ounces, then it should go in a checked bag. That means pack the cranberry sauce, gravy, and apple cider in the checked luggage. Meanwhile,
2: the price of that Thanksgiving turkey is down, but the good news, well, it could stop there regarding Thanksgiving dinner. It's just crazy today. you really got to, like, use coupons and, and shop smart. That's Amelia Arpaia from Yonkers, New York, who's going to a family member's house as a guest this year. The American Farm Bureau reports the average cost of a traditional hockey, holiday turkey down more than 5% compared to last year. However, ingredients for those side dishes, such as pumpkin pie, pie mix... Driving up the overall cost of a Thanksgiving meal, a basket survey by the New York Farm Bureau shows a 6% overall increase over last year. That's 25% higher compared to 2019 prior to COVID. And Dina Kodiak tells us about one in six Americans are expected to travel over the river and through the woods for the Thanksgiving holiday.
6: AAA estimates about 55.5 million people will travel at least 50 miles from home for the holiday, a 2.3% increase over last year. Forecasters say a large storm expected to hit the central and eastern U.S. could complicate travel both on the roads and in the air.
2: And last but not least in our news segment this morning, Rebecca Hughes tells us that the Capitol Christmas tree is being delivered Friday after its month-long tour through West Virginia.
6: A West Virginia-Norway spruce will arrive at its final destination after making its rounds through West Virginia, where it was selected from the Monongahela National Forest. At that point, we passed the tree off to the architect of the Capitol. Amy Albright of the U.S. Forest Service says the 63-foot tree will be decorated with ornaments made by West Virginia students. Up to 10,000 handmade ornaments that would help represent what makes West Virginia
4: endlessly wild and wonderful, and they really, really pulled through.
6: The spruce made stops at 19 communities across West Virginia on its trip. The lighting center ceremony is scheduled for November 28th. The holiday tree will remain on display as the U.S. Capitol Christmas tree, also called the People's Tree, through the holidays.
2: It is a Monday morning, November 20th. Thanks for tuning in to EWTN and Ave Maria Radio's Catholic Connection. They co-produced the show. We're glad you're along on a Monday and wishing you a beautiful Thanksgiving week. Stay tuned, of course. To all of our great programming throughout the holiday season and every day, good Lord willing. Coming up next, Dr. Stephen Duran, who's written a powerful book endorsed by our very own Al Cresta, To Die Well, A Catholic Neurosurgeon's Guide to the End of Life. It's a Monday. Stay tuned. More Catholic Connection coming your way. I stand corrected, not too proud to admit it. I said, Duran, it's actually Doran and I should know better because I met this wonderful doctor, this MD, on the Good News Cruise a few years ago, he and his beautiful wife. The book is To Die Well, A Catholic Neurosurgeon's Guide to the End of Life. Dr. Stephen, great to talk to you again, and thanks for being a part of the Good News Cruise, and even more importantly, thanks for making such a contribution. So let's go back, or shall we say, as the song says, begin at the beginning or begin at the begin. What prompted you to put down your thoughts, and your experiences with life, end of life in particular, into this book.
0: Well, thank you so much, first of all, for having me on your show. It's a wonderful show, uh, much needed, um, does great work. You know, I think what really prompted this uh, a number of years ago was the realization that uh, my patients uh, very often, um, I I would rather say rarely did they actually have thought about their possibility of dying, and even less frequently did they pray about it or contemplate it, so often I would encounter patients or their families uh, in crisis, uh, and all of a sudden they're left with this need to make certain decisions of care um, and what to do or what not to do, and they just had never really thought about it and especially had never really prayed about it. So that was, I think, the the initial impetus to do this.
2: But you've got a combination because you're an M.D., you're a deacon, and you're a bioethicist. So you've got, I would say, a very vested interest in this topic in more ways than one.
0: Yes, I mean, and I've I've written uh, in those areas, you know, kind of on a more academic level. Um, but I really wanted to put something together that was um, hopefully accessible to people because some of the issues uh, surrounding the moral and ethical issues are, are are pretty complicated or can be, can be. And I wanted to hopefully... Distill it down for people so they understand, you know why the church uh, teaches certain things, and then to put story in front of it, to put uh, you know, to put meat on the bone, so that these uh, issues aren't so sterile, but rather uh, apply to real people, and so it, it hopefully is more uh, draws them into the to the issue at hand better.
2: Do you think, doctor, that more people are at least interested in this now? Since COVID, there was so much fear that was expressed and, and concerns that were brought about because we were hearing about death and dying so often during those COVID years.
0: Well, I certainly think that there was it was an abrupt awakening uh, for many people uh, because, uh, uh, sadly, so many people uh, died and, and died um, unexpectedly. You know, and um, um, and. In particular, during that time, a lot of the deaths, especially early in COVID, uh, people were very isolated, and so I think it was a bit of a, a jarring wake-up call to reality of, of our own mortality. Yes.
2: And why do you think is it that other people don't think about it at all on the on the opposite spectrum?
0: Well, you know, I, I just think it's hard. I mean, the I, I think just in general. Um, you know, people uh, just don't want to think about the fact that you know their their time here on Earth is limited, and as, and especially if if your life is not rooted in faith. I mean, you know, we believe in in in, a, in the resurrection. We believe in a a Savior who died and was crucified, um, who who redeems us for our sins. But if if you don't have that perspective, I think it's just a natural defense mechanism to just not even think about it.
2: Yeah, it's very true. stop about Dr. Stephen Doran, his book is To Die Well, A Catholic Neurosurgeon's Guide to the End of Life. So you start each chapter out with a story. Can you share one of those stories with us? Because the stories help put things in perspective for people. But is there one in particular that comes to mind that you'd like to share?
0: Well, you know, I, I, I think that the, it's in the um, in the introduction. Um, it's the story of my, my father-in-law, Mike Lewandowski. Um, my wife, Sharon, um, comes from a... A loving, faithful Catholic family, and um, just a really uh, humble uh, telephone repairman, um, and um, but had a big influence in my own life, and um, and had the honor to uh, be with him and my wife Sharon and the rest of the family when he went through what I would call a very very holy death. He um, uh, developed leukemia when it was clear that the treatments wouldn't work. He went home. And their household was turned into this hotel, basically, where all the kids and grandkids came home into this house, and it was just teeming with life, just absolutely teeming with life while he was uh, on his deathbed, which I really would say was his lifebed. And
6: mm. it was a
0: revolving door of people coming to, to, he would be embarrassed to hear me say this, to pay homage to this this man, this holy man who had influenced so many people throughout his his life, but, but not doing anything uh Big public grandiose way, but, but by just being a uh, an authentic witness to Christ, and, and and it was just kind of seeing where his life and his death were integrated with with his wonderful family, and and that's just such a beautiful story. And and, and I start with that for that reason.
2: Mm, you know, it's so true too, because I can remember when my father died; it was a similar situation, although he died suddenly. To see the response of people at his funeral, it was just, that was very comforting. So and he was he was a mechanical engineer, he was a well-educated man, but, you know, pretty very humble and, and quiet in his own right, and yet the outpouring of support shows you that not only did he die well, but he lived well, the same thing with your father-in-law.
0: Right, right, and well, that's exactly what, you know, what St. Robert Bellarmin wrote this book years ago, you know, The Art of Dying Well, and that's that the whole premise, right, the whole premise. That if one wants to, to live well, uh, I'm sorry, if one wants to die well, one must live well. You know, it, it seems like it should be self-evident, but, but, um, but that's really the basic premise, you know. And, uh, and that's how he starts his book. He said, he who lives well will die well. And, um, and he goes on to say, what, what does that mean to live well? He talks about living a, a life of temperance and a life of, of faithfulness and prayer and fasting and all those things. And, and so, yeah, the, the journey towards a good death begins at our baptism. Um, mm. uh, you know, that's, that's when we are infused with the grace of the Holy Spirit, and, um, and then that is uh, further amplified throughout the rest of the sacraments in our life, And so that journey begins well before whatever event that ultimately leads to our death. It, it really is a lifelong process.
2: Can you in your job as a doctor, given all the restrictions and all the attacks on, on you know, people who are uh, Christian in their, in, in, in their profession, can you talk about this openly with patients in terms of the spiritual aspect? Or is that something that you, you talk about, the, the more practical, not that faith is impractical, but, you know, the nuts and bolts of, of being prepared physically and emotionally? Or can you talk about the faith issue? Yes,
0: I, 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 that's a good question, and I'm, I'm grateful that... Um, um, where I live in Omaha is 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 one of those communities that has not I think experienced at least on a widespread uh, level some uh, overt um, persecution of people of faith. Um, I'm sure there's you know people who feel like they're um, they might receive some of that, but really it's it's a desire to have uh, an integrated life. And I'm not going to pretend to say that I've always had an integrated life. You know, I think for a long time my spiritual life and my and my work life, you know, were, we're kind of parallel, but but just hopefully, and and I'm not there yet, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to set myself up for some perfection that I've not achieved, but having an integrated uh, life as uh, uh, Steve Dorn, the surgeon, is the same person as Steve Dorn, the deacon, is the same person as Steve Dorn, a father and a husband.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: And And I will tell you, I have never, ever had a patient reject an offering of prayer. Now, um, granted, I, I it doesn't take much, you know, I just kind of ha- listen, you know, someone might say, oh, uh, you know, uh, uh, my family's praying for you, you know, while I'm having surgery today, or, or God bless you, or, you know, just little, tiny little words that just open up the door a little bit and say, oh, oh, that's great, well, where do you go to church, or um, hey, would you like to pray? And so um, it, it just takes a little imagination, it doesn't, you know, I certainly don't want to force or prophesize or anything like that, but... People, by and large, are especially open during times of of crisis, during times of pain, you know, things like that. And so, by and large, I've been blessed that it hasn't been difficult to do that.
2: Now, I I think that's very true. Even on a plane, you're having a conversation with someone, and they ask you what you do. You're a deacon, a doctor, a bioethicist, or if they ask me or my husband, you know, I'm a Catholic talk show host, and, you know, he's being deacon now retired, but, you know, all all of us involved in spirituality and the faith at some level— and if they just, they ask you what you do, you tell them, you have a conversation. I've never had anyone reject if they shared something and say, oh, well, can I pray about that for you? And, and they'll, oh, yes, thank you so much. That is
0: so true. Right. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. No, it is. I, I think it just takes a little bit of boldness to to, to just make that simple offer. And, um, you know, I'll tell you one thing that's really, really helped me over the years and, and just been so blessed to, to study with my wife, Sharon, um, uh, she teaches speaking to a Catholic Bible study. And okay, hold American that, hold
2: that thought. We're having such a good conversation. I'm so interested that I asked you a question too close to the break, which I normally do and I shouldn't because I've been doing this for 40-plus years. <laughs> I think I know better. Anyway, I look forward to getting back to the conversation with our guest, Dr. Steve Doran. and the book is To Die Well, A Catholic Neurosurgeon's Guide to the End of Life. We'll put a link to it at the Catholic Connection Ar- Archives, but it is published by our friends at Ignatius Press and endorsed by Al Cresta, among others. We'll be right back.
4: Father Benedict Rochelle
0: There are all legitimate differences of opinion in any religion. There are differences of opinion in Catholicism. But in Catholicism, you expect that people will take the teaching of its supreme authority seriously. To go diametrically opposed to those teachings is to not be a Catholic. Someone in the name of Catholicism is sponsoring the destruction of human life lives of unborn children and you got the name catholic on the door the highest authority in catholicism and the encyclical humane vitae evangelium vitae is absolutely clear that no catholic can support abortion and that catholics are
1: responsible to take serious action against legalized abortion the people you know and trust are on ewtn what is the life of our heart? The Catholic Catechism answers prayer is the life of the new heart. It ought to be the source of our animation at every moment, but we tend to forget the one who is our all. The fathers of the spiritual life in the Deuteronomic and prophetic tradition say that prayer is a remembrance of God often awakened by the memory of the heart. We are to remember God more often, says the Catechism, than we draw breath. We cannot, however, pray at all times if we have not learned to pray at specific times. The tradition of the Church proposes morning and evening prayer, grace before and after meals, the liturgy of the hours, Sundays centered on the Eucharist, the cycle of the liturgical year with its great feasts as the basic rhythms of the Christian's life of prayer. There are three major expressions of prayer—vocal, meditative, and contemplative. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism.
2: Well, Grammy! a great Monday. It is Monday, November 20th, chatting with Dr. Steve Doran. The book is To Die Well, A Catholic Neurosurgeon's Guide to the End of Life. Doc, I'm so sorry, but I wanted you to finish the, the statement you began because it was very interesting before the break.
0: Oh, yeah, no worries. Thanks so much. You know, what I was starting to say was that um, what's been really, really important in my own life is to really get immersed in God's Word, to study Scripture. Mm -hmm. I've I've had the honor and pleasure of of working with my wife, Sharon Dorn, with Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study. And the reason why that's so important is that um, if if your life is not um, rooted, doesn't have a foundation in faith and morals, all these things I talk about in the book uh, just become a list of do's and don'ts. You know becomes just a a set of rules and unless we we have a, a sense of who we are as as people a sense that we are a unified body and soul and that's what we are and death is this unnatural separation of that um if we don't have that basic understanding of who we are as beloved sons and beloved daughters of christ if we don't understand where we came from um what what scripture tells us what the teacher what the church teaches us all this stuff is just a bunch of rules and 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 we have to be able to go back uh, past that so that when we do get to these complicated issues of, uh, you know, withdrawing care or nutrition or um, all these things, brain death, perineal death, those are really, really difficult issues. And you have to have some foundation. Otherwise, it might seem arbitrary, these decisions, and they're not arbitrary. They're, they're grounded in solid, uh, solid faith, solid ethics.
2: Are you surprised and or disappointed that so many people don't know what the church teaches about death, especially when it comes to issues such as cremation? A lot of people think, well, you know, my mother or father wants to be cremated and they want to have their ashes spread over the farm or the backyard or, or some place where they like to vacation. And a lot of people don't even know that that's not acceptable. Cremation, it is it is okay according to church teaching, but not the spreading of the ashes.
0: Right. Yeah, I think there's there's, you know, a lot of things that sometimes people just are unaware of you know and um, that um, there's not a lot of you know, let's I mean, let's be honest when, when are we going to get catechesis on dying <laughs> you know it's yeah. not like that's the standard part of confirmation or things like that but but yet in some ways it ought oxy not not necessarily the, the the granular level that that I go into in the book but yet the importance of just um, uh, an awareness of, of our own mortality and awareness that uh, that heaven awaits us um, uh, that we have the opportunity for reconciliation to be with God forever. Then that's the starting point. Then we can kind of dig down into more of the specifics of okay, the church says uh, cremations uh, permissible, but not uh, but uh, bodily death is um, is uh, preferable. Why is that? Why why, why is that? Even, why would the church even say that? So then that goes down into okay, we we all have a dignity afforded to us by virtue of our baptism, by virtue of being uh, sons and daughters of God, and so that even in death we owe our bodies this same dignity. And so spreading ashes is not a dignified thing to do. So again, you have to come back to the, the basic foundation for all this.
2: So you're giving them the basic foundation and then also how to build on that based on what the church teaches. Okay. Then where do we go from there? Correct.
0: That's the hope. And so the book has two parts. There's a part uh, the first part is um, kind of the moral or ethical issues. And that's more kind of the, the specific teachings of the church on various issues. And then the second part, the spiritual part, you know, um, what the spirituality that that uh, forms the basis of what we believe and what we teach
2: and what's been the response so far
0: well you know what's been so uh, edifying to me just on a personal level um, I've had a number of people who purchased the book who then came up to me and said oh this book helped me so much and I said how how did it help you I already said well you know a number of years ago my mom was dying and I and I just felt lost at the time and, and I made the best decision with the information I had at the at that time, and and this book brought me great consolation to know that oh okay that that was the right decision, and then the other side of the coin is people coming to me and say I'm going through this right now, my spouse mm. is ill or whatever the case may be, and this is helping me so much to deal with these issues because I just felt like I was out there on my own. So on an anecdotal level, it's it's, it's done very well. Um, it's you know um, kind of the uh, best new releases in a very, couple of various categories on Amazon, mm-hmm. like in Ethics and Christian Death and Dying. So I guess what more importantly to me is when I see people individually respond to the book and then come back and want to say, hey, I need another five copies. I want to give this to my sisters and brothers and, and things like that. And, and it's not about, you know, how many books I sell. It's, it's whether or not this is something uh, that helps people that they find important right. in their lives. And, and so far, the response has been uh, been favorable that way.
2: Do you think this is something, and maybe you're already doing this and working with Ignatius Press? But do you think this is something that could be available at a parish level? These books, because I think this would be super helpful for parish priests and when they're working with families and dealing with people who are in in really serious situations.
0: I think so, and I think one of the nice things about the book is that you know each chapter pretty much stands alone, and so and, and granted, there's uh, interaction with the various topics here. But if you if you wanted to do you know a little. Book club or a roundtable talk about okay. Let's let's talk today about euthanasia. What's going on here? And so there's a chapter on that. Okay. Well, maybe next month we're going to talk about you know redemptive suffering. And so it's, it, each chapter is a specific topic that I think would lend itself well to either people getting together or or even just someone who wants a a, a reference book.
2: Are you doing presentations on this?
0: Well, um, I've been. Um, <laughs> Still trying to be a neurosurgeon and trying to be a husband and in your spare a time, and, and, yeah. <laughs> a deacon. <laughs> so, so I I've been blessed to be able to do some some uh, interviews with uh, with in- individuals like yourself, which is which has been fun and helpful. And you know, whatever the Lord wants, we'll we'll keep an open mind to. But I but I want to also keep in mind that you know there's only.
2: So many, so many hours in a day. I get it, That's right. right? No, That's right. especially being That's a deacon's right. wife, as you know. I understand, and, and then you've got your whole professional career, which is still there. It's a little bit easier uh, for us because Deacon Dom's retired now, but professionally. But I think this is so helpful. So, when you sat down to write the book, for whom did, were you writing it? Was there a particular audience, or just Catholics in general? Before we let you go,
0: yeah, I think I would say the the uh, the Catholics who's, who's um, really kind of uh, serious about their faith, wants to know more, wants to really grow deeper in areas that they um, maybe um, have questions about, yes, it can be for any Catholic, but I think in particular there's there's going to be people who are you know really, really serious about their faith and and just need to and want to go deeper in this area.
2: You have so many great uh, endorsements
0: yeah i'm I was kind of embarrassed. I mean I, I've never done this before, I've never written a book, and so I kind of threw it out there to a few people, and they graciously um, uh, agreed to do so. And so I'm, I'm kind of I'm very humbled by, by the response from, from some of these individuals. A lot of them uh, I've had some contact with over the years, you know, either professionally. I've done some writing with some of them. And so, um, uh, and you know, have met Al, have been have been on Al Cresta's show before, um, but other people who I didn't know and who stepped up and just were so kind and so gracious. And is, um, I was just very blessed by it.
2: Well, I think it's a very important book. I think it's very helpful, but I think it's written in a way that's understandable. Despite you're you're a very highly educated person, obviously with your various degrees and your specialties, but you make it real. And I think what I love about it are the stories. That's super important, mm-hmm. so people can relate to the different situations.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's super important. I agree because otherwise it just comes down to, because there's other uh, ethical textbooks out there, and I don't I hesitate to even call this a textbook. I don't I wouldn't consider it a textbook, but there's other resources out there. And it's very much, uh, you know, kind of written a very dry, here's the facts, nothing but the facts, mm-hmm. you know, type of thing.
2: Yeah, you have to make it relatable and personable, and you did that. Doctor, thanks so much. Great to catch up with you again, and thanks for taking time to be with us this morning and to write this excellent resource and, and very inspirational book as well, To Die While a Catholic Neurosurgeon's Guide to the End of Life, published by Ignatius Press. We will also put a link to it on the Catholic Connection Archive at AveMariaRadio.net. The author is Stephen Doran. He's an MD, Catholic neurosurgeon, and so much more, a deacon as well, and a father and a husband. We'll be right back. Very important article recently published in Newsweek by Chris Faddis. He's the president of Solidarity Health Share on the occasion of the 30th anniversary of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And Chris, we were talking during the break. I can't believe it's been 30 years. And what's amazing, we were also discussing some of the quotes you had in the piece that people forget that this received bipartisan support when it originally passed.
3: Yeah, it did. I mean, even, you know, Ted Kennedy, remember the Democrat, Catholic Ted Kennedy was the, the main sponsor of the bill. and had wide support. And even President Bill Clinton said after signing it, he said, we believe strongly that we can never be too vigilant in this work of, of protecting the exercise of religion. You know, so what a difference we are, we, we've, you know, how far, how far we've come in 30 mm-hmm. years away from that bipartisan support of religious liberty.
2: So, take us back. Why was it passed and, and what is it, basically, and where does it stand today?
3: Yeah, I mean, it was, it was enacted because uh, of a Supreme Court decision that had actually limited religious liberty, that the religious liberty protections that were enshrined in crom- Congress were limited, and it was enacted in order to correct that mistake. It was a mistaken decision. And really, what, what RIFRA says is that, th- that essentially the government has to have a compelling reason. Um, to to force someone to, to, to not practice or not exercise their religion in, in a certain case. and there must be no other way for them to achieve the, the outcome they need, this compelling interest. Uh, and so you can't just decide that you know you have to do a, a certain you know practice just because you can't just decide well everyone should cover surgeries uh, or pay for surgeries or participate in surgeries that they disagree with. There has to be a compelling reason, and there could be no other. There's no other option for them uh, to do this. And a good example of a a simple one was a a a postal worker who was being required to work on Sundays. When Mm -hmm. they got hired, they had been told they could take Sundays off. Well, since the U.S. Postal Service started doing deliveries on Sundays for certain um, vendors and things. They were being required, and the, actual, the courts actually found that there was no compelling interest and that they did have other options, and so he no longer was required to, to work on Sundays. So it's a very simple rule that just says, hey, you have to have a very strong reason why you're going to force this person not to practice their religion.
2: But what are we seeing happen to RIFRA, given the fact that there's so many uh, uh, different efforts by not only this administration, but even on the state level, to force doctors and others to support or even be involved in, or various facilities, to pay for not only abortions, but also these transgender, so-called transgender surgeries?
3: Yeah, I mean, we're seeing, I mean, honestly, a real hostility toward religion, right? And you know, one of the things that, that I think we as Americans like to believe is that when we have these laws that protect us and that protect basic rights, but that means people won't go about trying to undo those rights, right, or trying to force us to go against our rights. Uh, and what we're seeing today is this continued uh, uh, onslaught of of rules and laws being enforced that do the exact opposite, forcing doctors to participate in surgeries that they find morally reprehensible, um, threatening doctors that if they speak out against abortion or don't provide certain services or counseling, that they would lose their license. I mean, we're seeing this over and over. It feels like, and I, I think we've talked about this before, Teresa, it almost feels like every other month mm-hmm. we've got another attack on the religious liberty, especially of Christians uh, and Catholics uh, when it comes to life issues and and, uh, and other issues. And so that's one of the reasons why it's so important, we highlight that this bill. For one, thank God we have this bill because it's helping protect us. You look at the Little Sisters of the Poor; they were able to fight against, you know, um, covering uh, uh, contraceptives through using RIFRA, right? And that was very mm-hmm. important. It took them five years, however, to do that. You look at the Hobby Lobby family; they successfully challenged the government's intrusion on their rights through RFRA. Uh So this this Religious Freedom Restoration Act is a is a godsend. Uh, and one that we have to, to uphold. But unfortunately, we're having to use the courts <laughs> to defend it.
2: That was my next question, because it seems that even though it's in existence, most people who are pushing, you know, the opposite agenda or their own agendas, they want to force people to try to go to court because they realize a lot of people can't afford it and don't want to go through the time or the energy to, to face a lawsuit.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, a, you know, amounts of bullying, right? I mean, we're continuing to force people uh, to prove it, right? Instead of What the law says, which is the government needs to have a compelling interest, there has to be, you know, they have to meet this litmus test before they go and try to, you know, violate someone's rights. We're we're doing the opposite. And essentially they're saying, no, you have to fight us, right? You have to come on the battleground. And I do think that that's part of it. I think it's intimidation. I think it makes it harder for people uh, who don't have, you think about religious orders who maybe don't have the large support that the little sisters of the poor had. Would they have... The ability to raise a suit, or you think of even smaller groups. Yeah. Uh, and remember, Teresa, this doesn't just protect us as Catholics and Christians. This this uh, law has successfully protected Hindus, Sikhs, you know, all people of all faith, Jews, uh, you know, all, all faith. This is this is what it's for. And imagine those folks who don't have the ability to to mount a defense against some sort of intrusion on their religious right, their religious liberty.
2: Given the aggression of this current administration, of a man who you know describes himself continually as a devout Catholic, Joe Biden, how they keep pushing and pushing and pushing, whether it's abortion, whether it's a transgender issue, uh, contraception, where would we be, do you think, right now without RIFRA?
3: Well, I think I think we would have uh, a lot of problems. I think we would have lost our Catholic hospitals at this point. I think we'd have a lot of positions and people that, that were out of work because they they would not be willing to go this route right I think we'd have religious sisters that would be participating in in uh, these things so without riffR I mean we, we would especially with this administration and honestly even even the Obama administration uh, had a lot of attacks against people of faith and so you know this is a really important law we, we obviously it, it will stay for the time we need to hope and pray we continue to elect people who who will protect this. Uh, and keep it keep it in force.
2: I was glad to see it. We were chatting about this during the break that it made it into Newsweek because Newsweek still has a I mean a pretty secular audience but I think it's great that they're willing to publish this to show people what's going on.
3: Yeah I think it's an important thing and I, I, I think as we talked about Teresa it's another reminder of where we once were. I mean 30 years ago uh, we had you know wide support and I think it, it, it also helps to remind us that maybe we need to start having these open conversations and dialogues with people uh, that are Democrats or that maybe disagree and, and help open people's eyes that right. this is something that we should be proud of as a country on both sides and we should continue to uphold it uh, because it's, it's one of those things that um, it's, such a, it's such a fundamental and basic right. It's one of the reasons for the founding of this country uh, and, and it's one of the things that makes us beautiful.
2: Yeah, And I think when you come right down to it, most people would agree with this too, that you know, even when you look at the pro-life issue, Most people, even if they call themselves pro-choice, they want limits on abortion, and they want a lot of limits on abortion. Chris, thanks so much. Great job. The article is by Chris Fattis. He's the president of Solidarity HealthShare, and we'll put a link to the Newsweek article, of course, on our archive section. After 30 years, Religious Freedom Restoration Act, more important than ever, was just posted last week in Newsweek, and I'm so glad it's getting a lot of exposure. Thanks, Chris. We'll talk to you soon. Keep up the great work. We'll wrap up Catholic Connection up next with Gail Buckley and our Scripture Verse of the Week. Stay tuned. Wrapping up, as we usually do on a Monday, with the wonderful Gail Buckley from Catholic Scripture Study. And the verse this week is Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves; so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. This is a, a really, I think, important verse. What did Jesus mean by this, Gail? Thanks for joining us.
6: Yes, absolutely. Um, well, you know, Jesus is speaking to his disciples just before he sending them out to evangelize. And, you know, it seems a strange thing to say, at at least the part about, you know, being wise as serpents. You know, because Satan is described in the Bible as, you know, being a serpent, especially in the Garden of Eden. And uh, usually Christians don't want to be related to being like a serpent, right? Mm So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, you think about it. You know, snakes are wise in the fact that they protect themselves. You know, they hear someone approach and they usually will scurry away. They don't normally attack unless maybe you step on them. Instead, they, you know, they lay low when they, when they sense danger. And this is, I think, what Jesus meant when he said to be wise as servants. As he said, you know, just before that, he was sending them out among wolves, meaning that they would encounter you know, they would encounter people that would be maybe strangers and many that were hostile towards them, because remember, the Pharisees were plotting to kill Jesus, and Jesus knew that his disciples would come in contact with people that might not want, you know, they might want to harm them, and and so, because they were followers of his, so he expected them to be gentle, in other words, be humble and loving and upright, and also to be, you know, cautious. You know, wisdom doesn't equal dishonesty, you know, and innocence doesn't equal gullibility, so... I think Jesus was telling them to be good examples of a Christian, you know, be careful. But they were to be courteous and not let people take advantage of them. And, you know, Jesus had just told them prior to that that they were not, you know, if you're not welcome, you know, he said, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or that town and shake the dust off your feet. He didn't want them to endanger themselves and waste their time there with those that didn't want to hear their messages. You remember, um, I remember, uh, Teresa, several years ago, our friend Steve Berenger, I mean, I'm sorry, my husband Steve Beringer, <laughs> Steve Ray, you know, he uh, gave me really good advice. I had been um, talking with a Protestant for a long time, several weeks, and she kept asking me the same questions over and over about my Catholic faith. And every time I gave her a detailed response, she would come back with an argument and the same question. So I was talking to Steve about it, and he said, you know, I don't waste my time with people like that, Gail. He said, I just shake the dust off my feet and with people like that. And that's exactly what Jesus meant. Don't bother with those who aren't interested in that, you know, and listening to you or those who are negative or hostile towards you. Don't argue or fight with them, but just leave. Let them be. Don't take chances with those who are hostile. Even snakes are wise enough to get out of the way of people who might chop their heads off. And, you know, that's what we usually do. We chop their heads off. So, you know, he's really telling us to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves is exactly what he means by that.
2: Yeah, I think sometimes you you want to help someone or you just want to, you love the faith so much and you just want to get them to understand. It doesn't mean you don't try, but but if they don't, you, you can't feed a baby steak. You can't force something on someone if they don't want to hear it. And if, if they just have an attitude, their, they want to change you. And so right. it, it's it's tough sometimes though, right? Because you, 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 sure you want to really witness to someone, but sometimes you do just have to walk away and just pray for them.
6: Right. You don't want to get in arguments with them or, you know, it reminds me of like the um, people, sidewalk advocates being in the front of the abortion clinic. You know, they're usually quietly praying. And sometimes the pro-choice people get very angry and, and you know, swear at them and yell at them, but they usually stay very quiet and continue to pray. And so that's the way that Jesus expects us to be. Don't argue with people. Don't get in fights with them. You know, if they're not willing to listen, if they are, you know, hostile towards you, just leave or you know, ignore them. Don't do. Don't act. You know, don't be slanderous. And, uh, show um, fighting and cursing and all that. That's not being a Christian. And no. so, and we don't want to force anyone because we all have free will. Hopefully they'll come around. We pray for
2: them. Yeah. And again, you have to really kind of decide as to when that's the most uh, appropriate time to, you know, to exactly. brush the dust off of your shoes, which again can be difficult. But I think that verse, I'm glad I'm glad you talked about that because sometimes we can see words, you know, like serpent. And you think, well, why? Yeah. As you said in the beginning of the discussion, why would God want us to be like a serpent? Yep. <laughs> that's
6: right. The first thing we think of is the devil. You know, we don't want to be like that. And he doesn't mean to be evil or mean or, you know, mean-spirited. He means to be wise in the fact that we know when to get out of the way or, what you know, to protect ourselves and not doing things stupid. You know, so the serpent is very cunning and uh, wise, the Satan is, and we have to be on our P's and Q's as well.
2: Yeah. Isn't wow. it great to have people with whom you can consult someone like a Steve Ray, you can just call up and say, Hey, what yeah. do you think?
6: <laughs> Doesn't that it. help? He's a good friend, right? We love it. Right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I have a, a real funny story before we wrap up. And by the way, we'll put the sure. verse up there as well. Matthew ten sixteen from Gail Buckley today. When we were doing your Bible study, Catholic scripture study, and Steve mm-hmm. had written on one of the studies, I forget which one it was. This was a couple of years ago. We were at our parish and we were all right. wondering that, I forget what the point was, but I remember, well, I have Steve's number, our column. And so I <laughs> called him in the middle of the study. <laughs> he was in the Holy Land. He goes, oh, hi. Yeah. And he put me on speaker. And he spent like 10 minutes explaining it to the class. And all the ladies were like, you just got Steve Ray on the phone. Holy Land." I go, I know. But if you, if you have access to people that know the faith really well and you can tap into them. I mean, I always do. I think it's, it's, it's right. a great gift, you know, and it helps a lot does help a lot i
6: love it i love it yeah, you know when yeah. i first started doing radio i had a new radio show i'd never done it before and i thought being so gabby i would be able to do it and 15 minutes into the show i ran out of stuff to say and i took a break and called steve and thanks be to god he was home and i said steve you gotta help me I to come on this radio show and help me and so he did and i'm so glad he was available and after that i said i gotta have a guest from now on i can't carry an hour-long show by myself
2: oh sure so, you can you just got you just got to talk you're good <laughs> listen girl you have a beautiful thanksgiving thanks for all you, you do did, with catholic did, scripture study it's great to talk to you again and, and and great advice and insight the verse again matthew ten sixteen. behold i am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves thanks to gail buckley she runs catholic scripture study international great program have a great monday i'll be back with you on a wednesday ciao ciao
1: You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruczek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E MariaRadio.net. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.